What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. What we saw on January 6th was the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. President Trump lit the flame. He poured gasoline on the fire. He is unfit for any office. Ours is not a system of justice where foot soldiers go to jail and the masterminds and ringleaders get a free pass. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. This probably goes down as one of the most successful congressional committees in modern history. And I'm sure the Justice Department will take whatever recommendations that they make and, and take them seriously. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The January 6th committee completes its work with criminal referrals. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the committee recommends charges against the former president, Donald Trump, and several of his associates for trying to overturn the 2020 election. In the case of Trump and lawyer John Eastman, inciting an insurrection. We'll bring you inside the hearing room for today's session and talk about its significance with former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and Bloomberg national political reporter Mike Dorning, along with our panel, Bloomberg political contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Republican strategist Lisa Camuso-Miller, former comms director at the RNC. It was the final meeting of the January 6th committee today. With a couple hundred people gathered in the room, including reporters like me, Chair Benny Thompson, Drop the gavel once more. A quorum being present, the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will be in order. Allowing the nine members of the panel to walk through the evidence they found over the course of 17 months and over a thousand witness interviews. Congresswoman Liz Cheney. Among the most shameful of this committee's findings was that President Trump sat in the dining room off the Oval Office watching the violent riot at the Capitol on television. For hours, he would not issue a public statement instructing his supporters to disperse and leave the Capitol. Congressman Jamie Raskin was tasked with walking through the committee's criminal referrals to the Justice Department. We believe that there is more than sufficient evidence to refer former President Donald J. Trump, John Eastman, and others for violating Title 18, Section 371. This statute makes it a crime to conspire to defraud the United States. In other words, to make an agreement to impair, obstruct, or defeat the lawful functions of the United States government by deceitful or dishonest means. Conspire to defraud the United States is actually one of four charges outlined, including as well citing an insurrection. The president has an affirmative and primary constitutional duty to act to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Nothing could be a greater betrayal of this duty than to assist in insurrection against the constitutional order. This is where we begin with Mike Dorning, Bloomberg national politics reporter who's been steeped in this process since the first hearing. 
Well, I guess I should say since January 6th, actually. <laughs> Mike, it's great to see you. Thank you for coming back uh, to talk to us here. An important day. Donald Trump uh, is referred along with John Eastman. This was his lawyer who, who crafted the whole yeah. idea of the alternate slate of electors. That's right. It's pretty amazing when you think about it, particularly since he's heading into a re-election campaign. Yeah. There is a constitutional disqualification. If you're convicted of insurrection, you can't um, serve in any office. Mm -hmm. Um, But more importantly, it's a crime, you know, if you were to be convicted of it, that is uh, a very, you know, a crime that sort of cuts to the heart of the political order and would be, you know, certainly a stain on him. In this case, it's really just a detailed case being laid out yeah. that the American public has. There was a reference to other co-conspirators. Will we be getting more names uh, when the final report is released? Well, the the actual summary report does refer to um, Rudy Giuliani, mm-hmm. another legal advisor who was mayor of New York, Mark Meadows, his chief of staff, and Jeffrey Clark, who is this kind of obscure Justice Department official who tried to to get Trump to appoint him attorney general to kind of pursue this idea of fraud in the elections. Do we know what kind of communication there has been between the committee and the Department of Justice? They're going to get a big package in the mail here or the courier is (laughs) going to knock on the door and say, hey, these guys have been real busy. Uh, To what extent has the DOJ already gone through all of this stuff? Well, they've, they've obviously watched the hearings like yeah. everyone else and all the th- things that are out there in public. My understanding from speaking to Chairman Thompson just a few days ago is that they have not yet turned over all the um, transcripts and stuff to the Justice Department, but will very quickly. Mm-hmm. And they will give them the final report and a criminal referral letter with evidence that they'll be sending later this week. The final report likely to be out Thursday, from what I understand, or at some point later on this some week. Some point later on Hundreds this week. Hundreds of pages long. Yeah, eight chapters. Now, just the summary was 161 <laughs> pages long, so you're probably talking like 1,000 pages. With complete uh, uh, verbatim of all the witness testimony, I understand, or will it be selected I, testimony? I think that there is going to be transcripts, verbatim transcripts, released oh subsequent to that final report. I see. So hundreds more pages yeah. will be coming. And they say that will all come out by the end of the year when the committee will evaporate with the Congress. Anything surprise you today? I know there was talk of charges, um, not necessarily four of them. Well, um, to me, the main thing was pretty well telegraphed in advance, which yeah. was um, what's important here is the criminal referral against Trump and particularly adding an insurrection charge, mm-hmm. which is the most inflammatory charge. And that is what is really going to matter politically and probably substantively coming out of this report. Um, the main thing about this report is just because there's a referral doesn't mean the Justice Department has to do anything formally. Yes, right. I mean, as a legal matter, it's just like you and I wrote a note and said, hey, he sure. ought to be prosecuted. Uh-huh. That said, this is a big committee in Congress with a, more than a thousand witnesses, and they're going to lay out a really serious um, report that's going to make this case. And we'll, the idea is it will stand for history and that it will be sort of a bulwark of this idea that Trump committed insurrection. That is an important thing that I, I feel like people forget. Everyone's asking all day about, well, what's the DOJ going to do? What's And what was the point of this committee anyway, the DOJ? The point was to, to set the record straight. The point was history, posterity, right? So people 100 years from now could find out what happened on January 6th. That is exactly the way the committee members think about it. And that is that they want 
for the rest of history, no sort of lost cause, yeah. restoration of Trump, reexamination of this. They want their record to be there for everyone to look at and to set the tone for history. Got it. Mike, great work. And thank you for helping us understand all of this over the past many meetings. Thank You're you. You're going to have to find something else to do. <laughs> Mike Dorning, <laughs> Bloomberg politics reporter with us here on Bloomberg Sound On as we add the voice of Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor and former special counsel to Robert Mueller while at the Department of Justice. Michael's helped us a lot through this time as well. And Michael, it's great to have you back. I'll ask you the same question I asked Mike Dorning. What does DOJ do when all of this material arrives? They read it, and they assess it, and they evaluate it in relationship to the material that they are themselves independently gathering in their grand jury investigation. And then in the review process, they make determinations as to whether or not they believe they have a prosecutable case that they can win at trial and sustain on appeal. And if so, then they make a decision whether to charge. And do you have a gut check after everything you've heard here? Or give us a sense of the, the cultures, you know, competing cultures between DOJ and Congress. They've got their own investigation going. They're potentially learning more than the committee did. Except that they don't have to prove anything beyond a reasonable doubt. They just have to have evidence that they feel is sufficient to justify a referral. Mm-hmm. The Justice Department then has to be able to marshal that evidence and the facts supporting it to have a jury reach a verdict beyond a reasonable doubt. So it's a different standard that each has. That said, of course, they're looking at the same category of witnesses and they're gathering the same types of testimony, with the big difference being that DOJ, because of its subpoena power in in the context of a criminal investigation, has been able to breach the stonewalling of false claims of executive privilege. So they've been getting the testimony that the Congress could not get. So they've got stuff that's additive to what the Congress was not able to get. How much of this is about Donald Trump versus his co-conspirators? John Eastman was named by the committee today. Others were listed uh, in the summary of the forthcoming report. Are they all in really big trouble, or is this a Donald Trump story? Well, it's a Donald Trump story from headline news if you will, but in terms of legal liability, they've alleged conspiracies here, and conspiracies require more than one person. And so Uh there are people here who have jeopardy, and uh, I expect are represented by hopefully good lawyers because the system works best when everyone has good lawyers. And I think that there are a lot of people who are going to be facing very difficult decisions about whether to fight this or begin now to cooperate. There's a category of crimes here, or potential crimes here, that hasn't been explicitly set forth in the report, but which are implied in the report, which is suborning perjury and witness tampering. And that's the testimony some people like Hope Hicks said that before she testified, she got a call which said essentially, he's watching, he can help you, you know, you can not recall things, even if you recall them. Mm-hmm. That stuff, if provable, are very serious charges against lawyers for suborning the perjury and for witness tampering for those who gave the directions to pass along the will protect you if you do the right thing. And if they have evidence sufficient of, uh, to that, then I think you're going to see a lot of people rushing to cooperate. 
Well, that's and, and, and Zoe Lofgren referred to that today. I'll never forget at the conclusion of I think it was the eighth hearing, uh, Liz Cheney referring to witness tampering. That's a big part of this case that we haven't followed through with, isn't it? Exactly. And from a pure prosecutor's standpoint, if you have evidence from a witness that says, I received a call from an attorney on behalf of his, you know, sort of, um, not necessarily client, but but, uh, on whose behalf he was speaking Mm -hmm. to say, do the right thing. And will protect you. That's you know straight out of a, the last scene in The Godfather before the guy kills himself in the bathtub. That's oh serious God. stuff. And yeah. um, people just don't want to lose law licenses or liberty right. um, for protecting people um, in that way. And I think as a prosecutor, you're going to look at that stuff and say, this is a goldmine for me to obtain cooperation and even convictions. Well, the hits keep coming here, Michael. I don't mean to sneak up on you, but we've got a breaking story that has emerged since you and I started talking, and it has to do with this Title 42 uh, border rule. The Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts has just temporarily blocked the scheduled ending of Title 42 this week, something that got a lot of talk over the weekend leading up to this. We know that there are uh, there are huge numbers of people who've been inspired to approach the border because of this rule change. This was the, the COVID rule change put in place during the Trump administration. Uh, do you have a sense, uh, Michael, of, of what this means uh, for the administration? Roberts is asking the White House to respond to the request uh, by 5 o'clock tomorrow, 5 p.m. on Tuesday, Um The restrictions had been scheduled to end on Wednesday. The order gives the court more time to decide how to handle the case. Where is this going? Well, and in Robert's order, he says the court wants to act quickly on this. So as you say, the Biden administration has until 5 p.m. tomorrow. And I think that the court is going to take this up as quickly as they can. I think this freeze is going to stay in place until they have a decision. And all of this, of course, means that the burden is on Congress to come up with an immigration plan that's comprehensive. George W. Bush yeah. almost had it, yeah. um, but we just couldn't quite get there. And, you know, people can criticize Biden or they can criticize Trump about the policy, good or bad. But really, the, the burden is on Congress to come up with a solution here that makes sense. And hopefully this will precipitate Congress doing that. But in the meantime, um, these crossings are going to remain blocked and uh, Title 42 stuff is going to remain in place until the Supreme Court issues its final ruling. And that could be some time from now. How does this work with the administration's uh, response? I'm assuming that that, that's that's written already. Well, I assume that they did have a sense that this would be sued and uh, that there would be a likelihood of termination of the uh, a temporary hold in the termination of the of the Trump era immigration policy, Title 42. Mm-hmm. You know, in most of these cases, if you're in the White House and you're waiting for a decision by the Supreme Court during Supreme Court week, you write a, a press release that says we're very pleased, and you write a press release that says we're so disappointed, and you figure out which one you're going to do after the opinion <laughs> comes out. And so I think right. that they 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 had two files that said you know. The Supreme Court did the right thing, and the other one said, you know, we're, we're disappointed, but we're going to proceed. And so they're disappointed, and they're going to proceed. 
To be clear, Republican officials from 19 states asked to keep Title 42 in place. Uh, Arizona's attorney general uh, making that move today. And that that's, I, I guess, what precipitated the ruling. Would we have heard from the chief justice otherwise? No, I think that's right. I think the Arizona attorney general, I don't know, never had to pronounce his name, but Bronovich, um, taking the lead for the for the 42 states, said, you know, this is a reckless thing to get rid of Title 42. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, let's let's take a look at this. Spending time with Michael Zeldin, former federal prosecutor, former special counsel to Robert Mueller while at the Department of Justice. Do you have a sense of how long, uh, Michael, it will take us getting back to the January 6th matter and the potential for an indictment of Donald Trump? How long it will take the special counsel to wrap his work? I think it's going to take a bit of time because while the DOJ is running its own investigation, now they're going to receive a thousand depositions and a million documents. That's what the committee said they've gathered. And they've got to look at all that stuff because they have to make a determination as to if there was a criminal trial, what stuff is potentially exculpatory because that has to, by law, go to the defense. Mm -hmm. And so they've got to uh, work their way through all of this evidence weigh it against their own evidence, decide whether they can indict, decide what they have to give to the other side. So I don't think we're looking at anything that's going to be done in the next couple of weeks. Michael, thank you as ever. Michael Zeldin with us again on Bloomberg Sound on the fastest hour in politics. We'll assemble the panel next for their take. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Steeple and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Steeple's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Steeple last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The question is on the motion to favorably report to the House. Those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, no. In the opinion of the chair, the ayes have it. Mr. Chairman, I request a quarter vote. A recorded vote is requested. The clerk will call the roll. 
Miss Cheney. Aye. Miss Cheney. Aye. Miss Lofgren. Aye. Miss Lofgren. Aye. Mr. Schiff. Aye. Mr. Schiff. Aye. Mr. Aguilar. Aye. Mr. Aguilar. Aye. Mrs. Murphy. Aye. Mrs. Murphy. Aye. Mr. Raskin. Aye. Mr. Raskin. Aye. Mrs. Luria. Aye. Mrs. Luria. Aye. Mr. Kinzinger. Kinzinger. Aye. Mr. Kinzinger. Aye. How is the chair recorded? Mr. Chairman, you are not recorded. Chair votes aye. Mr. Chairman, aye. The clerk will report the vote. Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes and zero noes. The motion is agreed to. Without objection, a motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Without objection. And so it went today in the Cannon House office building. The culmination of a 17-month investigation. And what you just heard is the first time ever such a referral of a former U.S. president has taken place in the history of the Capitol. It's pretty remarkable. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. As we reflect on this final January 6th committee hearing its implications with our panel, Jeannie Shanzano is with us, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst, along with Lisa Camusa-Miller, former communications director of the RNC. It's great to have uh, both of you with us here. Jeannie, the, the criminal referrals do not, of course, lead to charges, but at a pronounced level of argument to what the Department of Justice is already reading. Yeah, they do. I mean, obstruction, conspiracy, and incitement to insurrection, and all against the president or the former president, plus John Eastman and others. Of course, they left that open. And then the referral of four sitting members of Congress, including the next head of the Judiciary Committee, Mm -hmm. potentially the next speaker to the House Ethics Committee. I mean, these are big referrals. They don't hold the weight of the law, certainly, but they do put pressure on the white on the uh, the DOJ uh, rather, and they also, uh, you know, importantly hold the former president accountable in a way I don't think when this started many of us would have thought. I mean, mm. there's so many things about the way this committee conducted itself that I think forever changed the way select committees on oversight like this conduct themselves going forward. For instance, yeah. I don't think we'll ever see another opposition party, minority party, refuse to seat members ever <laughs> again. Big yeah. mistake. Big mistake, uh, you could argue, for Kevin McCarthy, who, to your point, uh, is being accused of violating House ethics rules. Uh, I want to get into this for just a moment because everybody's talking about the the criminal referrals here. This, again, is Congressman Jamie Raskin getting to this point. He wasn't even naming names today, but talked about the four lawmakers involved. We took the significant step of issuing them subpoenas based on the volume of information particular members possessed about one or more parts of President Trump's plans to overturn the election. None of the subpoenaed members complied, and we are now referring four members of Congress for appropriate sanction by the House Ethics Committee for failure to comply with lawful subpoenas. Okay, so they are. uh, The aforementioned Kevin McCarthy, he who would be Speaker, Jim Jordan, Republican from Ohio, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, and Andy Biggs, the Republican from Arizona who is actually running against Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Lisa, your thoughts on this, knowing that it's going to be a Republican House next year. These are going nowhere, right? Well, I mean, Joe, I think what keeps me up at night now 
going forward is that this is like a political catastrophe. I mean, this is the one thing that I can think about. We're coming up on the second anniversary of January 6th. It's taken yeah. this long to get to this point. So we've got a, probably another, even if they, even if it refers to DOJ, even if DOJ decides to take it up, it's going to happen in the middle of the next presidential campaign. And right. how is that going to work, right? Well, I can't begin to imagine. Uh, does that mean you're looking for an indictment, by the way? Well, it certainly means that something has to happen. I think this is Joe Biden's legacy, if you ask me. I mean, I think that this is his opportunity for, to preserve democracy, and he can he should do everything he can to encourage the DOJ to move forward. Unfortunately, though, what does that mean for his presidential campaign? But yes, when we come back uh, in January, the Republicans will take over the House. It still remains to be seen who's going to be in charge of the House Republicans. I still think right. that Kevin McCarthy has a long way to go to get to 218, and does this hurt or help? I think it hurts him. It hurts him. So uh, your speaker, Scalise, could be rising uh, in this case, Jeannie. He could. Listen, at this point, Joe Matthew, you could be Speaker of the House. At this oh, I don't point, know about that. It's what Lisa could be Speaker. No, it's, you know, it, it's tough. He's not, to Lisa's point, he's, he's not near the 218. There's a long way to go on that. He is going to have to make every deal under the sun, including to agree that one member of his, uh, his House could vote to remove him. And I think we're going to see several removals if that's allowed. So he's, you know, really, really setting himself up if he is elected for a very weak speakership. Certainly this referral to the Ethics Committee, that will expire the minute Republicans take over on January 3rd. But that said, I think it's a reminder that this has far-reaching implications because it's not just a former president that's bad enough. These are people who are leading our country. Speaker of the House is third in line to the presidency, and he is accused of this kind of level of violation of Congress, potentially next speaker. That's tr- that is tremendous, not to mention Perry, Jordan Biggs, and of course yeah. Mo Brooks, who is out and not named, but he still faces charges as well. I want to ask you both about the way this session ended, knowing that Republicans call this a political exercise. Uh, the president, the former president, Donald Trump, in this case, refers to it as the unselect committee. But listen to Benny Thompson as he drops the gavel on this session to a close. There being no further business without objection, the select committee stands adjourned. Okay, so there's a lot of people in the room. There's the gavel. People get the members get up. But listen to this. Applause. From the back of the room. That was not, by the way, Jeannie and Lisa coming from the reporters who, you know, you don't you don't applaud. You don't boo at a news event. Right. This is journalism. But there are many rows of people who are there to observe and they all have their own reasons for being there. Uh, but Lisa, does that call into question this exercise and reinforce the idea that it is a political one? I disagree with that 100%. No, tell me because, why. Listen, I'll tell you, Joe, I worked in the House. I worked for the Speaker of the House. And, and for me, it was really important for me uh, to make sure that democracy was preserved and that we worked at the highest level because of the job that we were given. So I think that the, con- the committee conducted themselves amazingly. I couldn't stand not to see the coverage as it went. I think Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger did a fantastic job as leaders in the party. I feel like the ones who didn't step up, who didn't come forward, who didn't speak up and say what they had to say about what happened on January 6th are cowards. It's well put. Uh, Jeannie, it's not lost on me that nearly half of that panel, the nine members sitting on that committee, are done after this. They either lost their elections they were primaried or they're retiring. 
That's right. And that, and that sort of points you to where we're going to go in the 118th Congress, in the House at least. And, you know, but it's me, worth you, noting, right? This committee ended careers, Jeannie. It, it absolutely ended careers, it, you know, particularly on the Republican side. Um, their votes to impeach the president, particularly for the second time, the second impeachment ended careers. And yeah. that's really, you know, right. listen, he's ended Donald Trump's, you know, Donald Trump has, you know, impacted seriously Kevin McCarthy's ability to be speaker because without Donald Trump, arguably, Kevin McCarthy could have had the 30 to 60 extra members in the House that he thought he was going to have. And Donald Trump's, you know, uh, sort of money monkeying around in the primaries, yeah. left him with a very, very small margin. And now he's beholden to this far right wing, never Kevin uh, wing of the party. Well, so here we are, Lisa. Indeed, a lot of careers were ended with this exercise. I'm also assuming that Rudy Giuliani and maybe John Eastman not going to have very pronounced legal careers after this. What about Donald Trump's political career? Well, I never count the man out because every time I think we do, we underestimate how powerful that base is behind yeah. him, right? So I think that there are so many factors at play here. He still does very much have control over a very vocal and very noisy part of the party that, I'll be honest with you, it's the bright light that the media and columnists and everybody else in the world that's following politics are still paying attention to. So they still have a platform. They still have a lot to say. And people are unhappy. They're seeing that Congress is still playing games. And in their opinion, they're not getting immigration done. They're not getting the budget done in time. They're not getting Mm -hmm. money in the pockets of the people who care about that the most. So people are still angry. And if they're looking for someone to point to right now, unfortunately, it's the party that's in the White House. And that makes it very difficult for Joe Biden to come back. But also, Joe, who's going to run against him? No one so far has stood up to say that they will. That is the rub, isn't it? at least for now. Lisa Camusa Miller and Jeannie Shanzano. We've got a great panel today, and we have yet to discuss this breaker on Title 14 with them. We're going to get a news update, and we'll dig into that as well with Greg Storr, Supreme Court reporter. Uh, In short, Title 42. Did I say 14? Title 42 will not be lifted this week as scheduled. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. 
Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Republican officials from over a dozen states asked the Supreme Court to keep Title 42 in place. Just days before the COVID-era border rule was to be lifted, the Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts did so. This story breaking a short time ago. So that blocks the scheduled ending of these Title 42 restrictions that were actually put in place by Donald Trump. And it's a story that's been in the air because of the looming end of these rules. Loomed large on Sunday morning television. Senator Alex Padilla, the California Democrat, chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee's Immigration, Citizenship and Border Safety Subcommittee, was on ABC this week. He pushed back against what he called Republican rhetoric. All the Republican rhetoric about chaos at the border, open borders, etc. Number one, they have yet to come forward with a plan of how to better uh, handle the scenario. Number two, they have not been willing to commit the additional resources that uh, the departments and agencies say that they need to handle this big influx. That's, of course, before we knew this was going to happen. Even today, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, asked about this in the briefing room, making the case for it to be lifted. If they are serious, uh, Republicans in Congress are serious about securing the border, then they should assist in making sure the men and women at the DHS have what they need uh, to get this done. For more on this, we talk to our expert on the Supreme Court, Bloomberg Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr is here. That was a pretty quick turnaround. I guess it had to be, uh, Greg, with these rules set to be lifted uh, just two days from now. Uh, What's going to happen next? I know the the administration has to respond by tomorrow afternoon, and then what happens? Yeah, so what's important to keep in mind is what the Chief Justice did here is an administrative order, and the court has been doing this a lot lately, basically just saying, we know we have a deadline, let's just pause everything while we consider this request. It doesn't necessarily mean one way or the other how they're going to deal with the request. Mm -hmm. So what I would expect to happen, potentially in very short order, because as you said, it's it's only only until tomorrow that the administration has to respond, I expect the court as a whole will say whether it is going to block the ending of, of these restrictions while the courts consider the legal challenge to it. Mm-hmm. So it is possible the court will basically do an about-face from what Roberts uh, did temporarily today and actually um, a- a- allow these restrictions to, uh, to expire as scheduled uh, this week. What is the case in this legal challenge? What are the grounds? Yeah, so it's procedurally complicated. The core of it is that a judge said that uh, back in the Trump administration era when when this policy was put in place, uh, uh, a judge said the the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention didn't follow the uh, law known as the APA, the Administrative Procedures Act, didn't uh, follow proper procedures in and putting these restrictions in place. And so the judge ordered the policy struck down. 
And the question, the more recent question is, can these states intervene to try to uh, revive these restrictions? The Biden administration is content to let them end, and because it, it, it has been sort of pursuing the end of it uh, on a separate track. And so kind of the issue before the Supreme Court right now is really uh, n- narrowly whether the states can jump in and do the defending of the rule that the Biden administration doesn't want to do. Wow. How does the administration prepare for this? They obviously need to have uh, resources lined up for when this rule is lifted. Yeah, yeah. And that is a good question. And and a big part of what the states are arguing right now is that this is going to unleash chaos at the border and it's uh-huh. going to uh, potentially double the number of people who, who cross the border. Uh, whether or not that actually happens remains to be seen. Uh, but that's sort of the, the er, what the Supreme Court is being confronted with, this argument that there's, uh, you know, a really, really big interest in that it's going to fall hard on the states that might have to pick up some of the costs for dealing with additional people coming across the border. Boy, what are the chances this actually is lifted on Wednesday? You know, I, I'd, I'd really hate to predict because, uh, you know, with all the procedural complications, sure. um, you, you know. But one that may possibility have, exists, right? It, it, it does exist. I, I think probably more likely if it gets lifted, it won't be Wednesday, if only because there's a good chance that, um, or at least a reasonable chance, that somebody on the court will want to write something about this. Whoever is on the losing side will want to write something. And that may take a few days. So the Chief Justice's order today at least buys the court a little bit of time so it could happen later on in the week it could happen next week we'll just have to wait and see what a great time for this to all happen to the border patrol <laughs> on christmas eve basically yeah, or exactly. what would be happy new year's holidays. eve next week happy holidays greg store thank you as always always an intelligent conversation with greg it helps us distill what in the world we're getting from the supreme court greg abbott the governor of texas uh tried to put his finger on it. If the courts do not intervene uh, and and put a halt to the removal of Title 42, it's going to be total chaos. That's the way it sounded on ABC this week yesterday. I want to hear from the panel on this. Well, we have a moment with Jeannie Shanzano and Lisa Camuso-Miller, our panel today. Uh, Lisa, is this a win for Republicans or is it more complicated than that? Oh, I think it's way more complicated than that. I think it sounds like that both sides agree that if the title was lifted, then it would be a catastrophe for the country. And so I think that the one thing I heard last week, Joe, when they were talking about the fact that Senator Sinema from uh, Arizona was going to come and she was going to change parties and she was going to be an independent, there was some discussion that that might be useful to the the Republican leader, McConnell, yeah. um, because he, ha- he definitely has um, conferenced and met with her in the past over immigration and that he might be easily persuaded or more easily persuaded to consider this now that she might conference with the Republicans. <laughs> Well, this is uh, interesting for the Biden administration, Jeannie. How do you manage this after making the argument over and over that these rules need to be lifted now? You know, in my view, this is a win for the Biden administration that they will not talk about. They will say exactly what the uh, press secretary said. We follow the law. We follow what the chief justice ordered. A win in that they were saved by the bell? They were saved by the bell. The last thing they needed was this lifted on Wednesday and, you know, five to 6,000 people coming over the border three times more. On Christmas weekend. The pictures coming out of there over the weekend are disastrous. It's freezing cold there. This is a humanitarian disaster. They haven't done enough 
on the border. They need to get down there and do that. And this buys them a little bit of time. So politically, it's a short term win for them, but one that they're not going to talk about, just like McCarthy's not going to talk about the fact that an omnibus would be the best thing that ever happened to him while he's telegraphing (laughs) the opposite. There is politics. Well, that's right. Although, I mean, Lisa, you can call this a, a moral victory for Republicans, right? I mean, they, they just fulfilled their argument before the Supreme Court. And while we still have to get through the response and all that tomorrow, John Roberts sided with Greg Abbott. He did. And I, I think, though, I think everybody is saying that this was going to be an issue. So as much as, you know, it's an, an RRD problem, the problem is that no one has done enough at the border. And the, yeah. the immigration issue has got to be resolved. And there has to be some come together on this. So and neither yes, of I you expect gonna... comprehend, uh, comprehensive immigration reform in this next Congress. Do you, Lisa? No, I definitely don't. Do I you, think Jeannie? it's going to be even more. Zero chance of it, Joe. Yeah. Wow. And so the clock ticks. Uh, we'll have some final thoughts with our panel, Jeannie Shanzano and Lisa Camuso-Miller, on the next Donald Trump story. Not the one today, the one tomorrow. The tax returns. We'll get into that with the panel ahead on the fastest hour in politics. Live from Washington, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You know, in any normal year, (laughs) we'd be talking this week about the budget, right? We'd be getting into government funding and what's going to happen between now and the deadline Friday. We might even refer to a possible shutdown. But then there's this year, and I haven't even mentioned the word omnibus yet this hour. A little credit for that. Of course, we had the January 6th committee hearing today, the final one, the referral of criminal charges. We had a breaker this hour, Title 42, maybe not going to be lifted this week. And then tomorrow, we get the tax returns. Remember the Trump tax returns? I think the public has a right to know. That's why we should pass legislation requiring candidates to do that. That's why every other candidate has, except you know who, and uh, who shall remain nameless here. Uh, but, uh, but um, yeah, so I, I would hope... Uh, that the public would have the opportunity to see. Speaker Nancy Pelosi on the 1st of December there, once the Supreme Court again ruled that the House Ways and Means Committee, in fact, could gain access to those documents. So it looks like tomorrow they will be made public. Uh, The Ways and Means Committee has got a closed-door session, private business tomorrow, in which they are going to review the returns and... Some think vote to release them, or at least some of them. See what the panel thinks about it. Lisa Camuso-Miller is with us, former comms director of the RNC, along with Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Democratic analyst. Lisa, uh, we've heard a lot of times about tax returns. It almost seems impossible that these would be made public. What impact would that have? Well, it's certainly not going to change the mind of the fringe right, and it's not going to change the mind of the left. But it is going to potentially offer some illumination to the swing voters about where there potentially could be conflicts of interest. And that, I think, alone is something that could be very, very damaging to any candidate that wants to run, especially Trump, for re-election. Conflicts of interest in terms of dealings with, with foreign agents, or what are we talking about here? 
foreign agents, other cor- other corporations. The truth is, is we don't know. But I do still think that those tax returns are relevant and important. And I don't, like I said, I don't think it's necessarily yeah. going to change either base. But swing voters are going to be interested to know more about it. I think. Timing's incredible here, Jeannie. The day after the January sixth committee got a special counsel underway. Now the tax returns. You wonder if Donald Trump is actually more upset about them because they will likely show he is not as wealthy as he claims to be. Yeah, a very bad week for Donald Trump. And, you know, the best thing that happened this week was a sellout of the NFTs, and that's not saying much. And now these two days back to back. Thank you for updating that story for me. I I like to do that. Um, You know, they they likely will vote, to your point, to release them. Um, They've requested them in 2019 after a hard-fought court fight. They finally got them. But, of course, at the very last hour, they likely make this vote. But the question is, is there any political ramifications for this? Does anybody notice or even care in this environment? And is there anything there worth, you know, investigating? Like, you know, what don't we, uh, you know, what could Trump have done that anybody would be shocked at at this point? It's hard to imagine. Maybe a foreign agents, if that's even reflected in tax records. Yeah. But likely it's just that he's not worth as much as he said or he didn't pay taxes as much as he should have, both of which... I don't think is going to have much of a political impact at this point. Well, he's bragged about not paying taxes, right, Lisa? Does that uh, surprise anybody if that's the case? No, I don't think that's the case at all. I do think, though, that to Jeannie's point, that this could be be the kind of thing that illuminates the fact that he's not necessarily as uh, economically uh, (laughs) substantial as he suggests that he is. Um, Maybe takes a little bit of the air out of the sails for folks who think, well, if he's that wealthy, then he should run the country. Yes, Um, right. But I also also think that uh, I'm with Jeannie. I think it's a it would be great if it was happening in January. It feels like it's kind of just another bad day for Donald Trump this week. Well, boy, we've got a lot to learn still tomorrow. You better be here tomorrow because we're going to be talking about this at this time. Remembering Donald Trump referred to himself as the king of debt during the presidential campaign. Jeannie Shanzano, Lisa Camuso, Miller, great talk and thank you. I'll meet you back here tomorrow on the Fastest Hour in Politics, live every day from Washington. It's Sound On here on Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.